This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's just do a quick uh, bit of review here. Uh, Lesson two, this is our fourth week, but uh, we're on lesson two. Uh, That's because the first lesson took us a little while, but that's okay. Tonight, and we started last week, we're looking at the question, we're trying to answer the question, should PTSD be considered a disorder? Okay, obviously it's termed a disorder uh, by the American Psychological Association uh, in their uh, manual, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, and this is, uh, again, we've said this before, but for the benefit of of, uh, newcomers to the class, this is kind of like um, the guidebook, you know, it's about that big and it lists, you know, umpteen hundred um, so-called disordered disorders, um, and this is what doctors, psychiatrists use as the standard when they seek to diagnose and treat people who are suffering from a, uh, a variety of different problems and disorders. So the American Psychological Association, non-believers, They call this a disorder. Is it a disorder? That's the question we're looking at tonight. And we've already said, and I should say it again here, and uh, if you look at the second paragraph in your your notes on page one, we want to again affirm, just so there's no misunderstanding, that uh, all people struggle to some degree with unwanted thoughts, fears, other emotions in the aftermath of trauma, right? I mean, we are weak, fallen people. Uh, We struggle. So in this sense, the problem is real. It's a real problem. Many of us have experienced it to one degree or another. So So anything we say tonight, we're not discounting the reality that there is a problem. Uh, Okay, instead, the question tonight is, should we call this problem a disorder? And maybe you say, well, who cares? It's just semantics. You know, what does it matter? And you may be right. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not really sure that it matters a whole lot if we call it a a disorder or a problem or a condition or whatever. But what is important um, is, I think, the analysis that we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, Hopefully helpful Uh, There's some very interesting things, I think, that we're going to be looking at that uh, just help us in terms of discernment uh, and understanding as we seek to assess what exactly the problem is, and then eventually, starting next week, uh, what's the solution, okay? All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to list several reasons why I believe, personally, and it's just my opinion, why it's probably not, why we probably should not term this problem as a disorder. Okay, and we'll, you'll understand as we proceed here. So, the following are reasons why PTSD should not be considered a disorder. First, again, we covered this one last time, so I'm going to try to go quickly here, um, but for the benefit of the newcomers, The manner in which PTSD is diagnosed along with the criterion used for diagnosis are highly subjective. 
Okay, subjective. That's the blank if you want to fill that in. Individuals are formally diagnosed with PTSD when, you know, in the course of an appointment with a doctor or psychiatrist, they describe, okay, verbally, they tell the doctor, the psychiatrist, what they're suffering from, what their symptoms are, and based upon what the patient says, the doctor will say, hey, you've got PTSD. So it's all based on the patient's self-reporting of symptoms. In that sense, it's based on behavioral criteria alone and not biological testing. And uh, we see that as we continue here under the little, little two. Psych psychiatric diagnoses, including that of PTSD, are not based on laboratory tests. Okay, they're not based on laboratory tests such as blood tests or radiological tests or, or studies such as a CT or M, uh, scan or MRI. In other words, there's no PTSD tumor, right? Uh, there are no physiological or genetic tests that, confirm, that can confirm the presence of PTSD. Contrast this, we mentioned this last time, with uh, Down syndrome, okay? Something like that, which we would properly term as a disorder. Uh, when a child is born with Down syndrome, that can be verified. It's done, it's genetic testing, it's, it's done via blood test that reveals the actual disorder by looking at the number of chromosomes. And I'm not a doctor, but I uh, did a little research here, and I guess if there's extra chromosome 21 and so forth, that's how the presence of Down syndrome is detected. Of course, this is not the case at all when it comes to PTSD. And I think everybody understands what we're talking about here. So we'll just quickly move on. I do want to mention something that's kind of interesting here. I, I made a little mistake. And this is actually, it's kind of a good thing that I made this mistake because I think it highlights the point that I'm trying to make here at the bottom of page one uh, when we're talking about the criterion for diagnosis and uh, how subjective it is. And we said that according to the DSM, symptoms must persist. Uh, and then by symptoms, I'm referring to the symptoms for PTSD that we discussed in Lesson 1, those common symptoms that folks report, uh, unwanted, intrusive thoughts, um, nightmares, flashbacks, so on and so forth, avoidance behavior. Those kind of symptoms that are typical, that are used as, you know, the means of diagnosis. Um, According to the DSM, those symptoms must persist, and I said for 30 days. I was wrong. It's 31 days, okay? 31 days before an individual can be diagnosed with PTSD. And then on to the back, if you turn over to page 2, if symptoms last for less than, and you can cross out 30 days, and uh, write in there 31 days, the individual is said to have a different disorder, acute stress disorder. So again, this kind of highlights, is everybody following me here? It's at the bottom of the page. Oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. Yeah, there's a, I, I made a slight revision and uh, reprinted, and so the one I'm working off may be a little different than yours. I apologize. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, 
So, everybody find out, everybody figure out where we are. Yep, okay, I'm looking at the one you have now. Although those of you, some of you who have the handout from last time, you, you were following me, but, okay, is everybody uh, with me here? And do you see, do you see how this highlights the point, the, the subjective nature of this whole, uh, of the diagnosis here? Okay, so if, you're, if you have these symptoms for up until 30 days, you don't have PTSD. You have a different disorder. Once the symptoms persist, you know, for the 30, day 31, now all of a sudden you have the disorder. Uh, can, I mean, imagine that with cancer, you know. So I have cancer, um, but, it, you know, for 30 days, and then on day 31, it turns into a different disorder. You know, very, very subjective, very arbitrary, very random. Um, so if you have these symptoms for only two days through 30 days, you have acute stress disorder. But then once you hit day 31, then you have post-traumatic stress disorder. Again, the whole thing, very, very subjective, random, arbitrary. All right. Reason number two, any question there, comment there, before we move on? Yes? Uh, it's just simple. Uh, I don't, is it saying that you consistently have it for 31 days, like every day? Or, like, I, I haven't read it. So yeah, I, I have read, I've read the, uh, and I thought about reproducing all the criterion here. It would be like three or four pages. Uh, so we summarized them for you in lesson one. I don't know that it goes, as I recall reading through them, it doesn't necessarily say you have to have flashbacks every single day. It's more general that the symptoms persist uh, for at least 31 days, and then you're considered to have post-traumatic stress disorder, but not until day 31. Yeah, from my time in the service, uh, it, the questionnaire did not, did not say that. Okay. Okay. Did, was it just a general reference? Did they give any kind of time span? Uh, I think it was uh, something like, do you have uh, five days, uh, X amount of days or more? Okay. And answered yes or Okay. Yeah, and every, uh, so the VA or the DOD, they may have slightly different you know, wording or terminology, and uh, and that only I think just reinforces the point here that we're dealing with something that's pretty subjective and open to opinion. Uh, in, in terms of an official diagnosis and calling this a disorder, because uh, and, and here's something else, and I, you know, there was a, a good comment made at the end of class last time. You know, what's the definition of a mental disorder? And that's a great, you know, that's a great question, because um, if, if the question we're asking is, should PTSD, should we call it a disorder, in one sense, it would help to know, well, what is a disorder? What's a mental disorder? And, uh, but I chose not to, in, to give you a definition of disorder, because there are so many. I mean, there's a thousand definitions, depending on uh, if you look at, you know, John Hopkins and what they call a mental disorder. Or, or this entity, or that, or the DSM. I could have given you the, the, uh, the DSM's definition, but these definitions are so varied. They're always changing. Um, and, uh, 
you know, traditionally, traditionally, a disorder has implied a, a bona fide biological medical problem, okay, like, like Down syndrome. And uh, one of the things we've seen in the last several decades, it's becoming more and more subjective. And certainly, the definition for a mental disorder found in the DSM, for example, uh, again, it's changing all the time. Uh, it was changed again in the, the DSM-5, the fifth edition that was published in 2013. And uh, a lot of commentary on that, a lot of criticism of how the APA continues to change uh, the definition to just broaden it and broaden it. And uh, actually, I think that's the next, kind of related to the next point we're going to make here. So we'll, we'll move on. Any thought, thoughts, other questions? Good questions. Okay, the symptoms. Okay, so second reason. Second reason why maybe we shouldn't term this a disorder. The symptoms associated with PTSD are commonly experienced by many people in the aftermath of trauma. Okay, commonly experienced by many people in the aftermath of trauma. In other words, these symptoms represent, in one sense, a natural, normal response to abnormal events. And, uh, of course, there's varying degrees uh, of, of what we're talking about here. And in some cases, we're talking about sin, right? If someone gives themselves over to uh, anxiety, anger, discontentment, uh, hopelessness in the aftermath of trauma. So I'm not saying that it isn't sinful, but uh, in, in, in one sense, it's normal. It's uh, a natural in light of our fallen condition, in light of the fact that we're sinful people uh, to respond in that fashion. Again, that in a severe case where maybe somebody um, gives themselves over, uh, to allows themselves to continue in, in worry, discontentment. Of course, it doesn't have to progress that far. We, we talked about in the first day that, you know, sometimes you just have a, a rough day at work and, and some issues happen. And uh, so at, at night when you go to bed, your mind's, you know, racing. And, you know, in those cases, I, I'm not sure that that's sin. Um, again, but natural, normal response to abnormal events. Uh, as one medical doctor turned biblical counselor has written, secular psychiatrists often abnormalize the normal through over-diagnosis. And uh, that quote, let me do a little show and tell here. That quote comes from this book. I highly recommend it if you're interested in this kind of thing. Uh, and you have the information there. It's called Descriptions and Prescriptions, A Biblical Perspective on Psychiatric Diagnoses and Medications. Very good book. Again, the guy that writes it, he's a medical doctor turned biblical counselor. And uh, good, good book. Read it a few years ago. Would like to read it again uh, one day. All right. Reason number three. Those who are diagnosed with PTSD are often led to believe that they are incurably disordered, doomed to live a broken life that can only be improved through psychotropic drugs that can ease their symptoms and dull their suffering. And so, 
again, the secular community, the APA, the DSM, they call this a disorder. And for some people, some people, they take this to heart. You know, they were told that they have a disorder. And for them, that is, is crushing. And they feel, especially because we're going to talk here in a minute, reason number four, especially since this is uh, portrayed and conveyed as a, a medical illness. You know, they're told, in essence, that they've got a brain disorder. And so some people automatically just give themselves over to despair. They feel like, wow, okay, I have this disorder. I have a, a brain disease. I have this mental illness. I guess there's no hope for me. And, uh, or even if they don't go that far and, and, and uh, despair at that point, uh, it's almost the sense, and if you look at it again, if you, we don't have time, but if you look at a lot of the secular literature that talks about this, there's really no hope offered. I mean, it's basically, hey, you have this disorder, you're stuck with it, you have this mental disease, maybe we can help you, maybe we can provide some relief through medication, but beyond that, there's really no hope. You're stuck with this disorder. Um, and of course, that's not the case at all, and we know that in the gospel, in the word of God, there is tremendous hope, uh, no matter the problem. Uh, and I think back to the first verse that we talked about here, when we talked about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and that there's no temptation, no problem that we, can, that we will encounter in life. You know, they're all common to man. Um, and what, is the end, what does the second half of that verse say? Yeah, there's a way of escape. You know, the problems we encounter in life, including post-traumatic st stress, you know, they're common to man. We all struggle with this kind of thing because we're weak, fallen people. And yet, there is a way of escape. And uh, that way of escape is through God and His Word and the hope that we have in the Gospel. And again, we'll be spending the, the second half of the course talking about that in detail. But for now, the point is that, uh, again, another reason we probably shouldn't call this, a, it's not a good reason to term it a, a disorder, is that it conveys uh, doom and gloom and a certain degree of hopelessness for those who are so diagnosed. Number four, diagnosis for PTSD and for all other mental disorders is based on a disease model. Disease model advanced by those in the field of secular psychiatry. This model holds that mental disorders are caused by brain diseases and other biological or genetic shortfalls. I told you about this uh, little pamphlet here that I picked up at uh, City Hall in Chesapeake, Virginia, right here uh, where we live. Just on those little racks, you know how you walk in, they got various racks on all, you know, all kind of information for the public. Ten things everyone should know about post-traumatic stress disorder. And you can see right at the top, understanding mental illness. You open it up. Post-traumatic stress disorder is an illness that can start after a shocking or frightening event. Uh, skip down. Number one, PTSD is a medical condition. And so this is very, very typical. All of the, the secular approach to this problem, it's all based on this disease model 
that just assumes that every disorder, it's, it's medical, it's biologically based. Uh, they, of course, they, they would never talk about sin or anger or worry or how, you, uh, how you're handling or interpreting the circumstances in your life. The assumption is you have an, an, Ill, an illness. Excuse me. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to ask a question, and I just hope for everybody in the room it doesn't offend anybody, but I feel like it's a question that needs to be asked. Do you feel that the wording that they use in some of these books about it being a medical disease and stuff is that I feel that the medical field in the United States is driven by money and not by actually helping people, yeah. i.e., where a third of the world's population, but we use 90% of medication, you know, of uh, opiates yeah. in the world. And, you know, and all the other things that are driven by, by the FDA and finances in America, you think that part of this issue that we're talking about is that it's driven from a money standpoint is actually helping somebody. That's absolutely part of the problem, in, in my opinion, and in the, you know, many, many people would say that. Even, even certain secularists uh, who oppose kind of the mainstream of secular thought. You know, I read a book last, in the fall, for a class that I took um, by Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, you know, one of the leading guys on PTSD, not a believer at all. Um, and he took issue with just about everybody else in, the, in his community. I shouldn't say nearly everybody else, but he's certainly in the minority that is very critical, highly critical of the whole disease model to the way they see things, the APA, the DSM. Um, and that was, you know, one of the criticisms that he leveled. You know, it's a money thing. And this is billions and billions of dollars for the drug companies that produce these drugs. And, hold, you know, hold that thought. We'll stop there for now because once we flip the page, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. And I've got a little excerpt that I'll, that I'll share with you. So, yes, good, good, good thought. And we're going to come back to that. Um, let, me, let me share this, which is... Uh, we got too many show and tell things over here. Here it is. Let me share this advertisement for Zoloft. Okay, Zoloft is a uh, this is a psychotropic drug medication that's prescribed for PTSD and other uh, social phobias or uh, social anxiety. The, the social anxiety class of disorders that are listed in the DSM. They have certain broad categories, and then underneath they kind of break them out and get more specific. But this is a, a drug that's commonly prescribed for social anxiety type disorders. Listen to the language. I'm going to read it verbatim for this, this drug. And you'll see the underlying the philosophy that's based on the, the disease model. Social anxiety can be overwhelming. You might shake, sweat, or feel panicky. You may feel embarrassed when you're in a group. You may worry that you're being judged. You just feel so isolated. These are some of the signs of social anxiety disorder. 
It is a real medical condition. Okay, catch that. So it's talking about social anxiety disorder. It's a real medical condition that can get in the way of your daily life. The cause is not known. But it may happen when natural chemicals between the brain's nerve cells are out of balance. Prescription Zoloft works to correct this imbalance. Okay, so again, you see there, um, you see the, uh, the fact that their underlying philosophy, it's, it's based on this uh, disease model. The underlying cause, it is assumed, is not spiritual, not spiritual, but biological. Okay? Let's, uh, let's look at a uh, little letter B there, under four. This is the same disease model which has been used to classify various problems and or undesirable behaviors, what we would call sin, as mental disorders. Did you know, and we could have a lot of fun with this, and in one sense it's not funny, it's, it's tragic, but uh, we could have some fun, you know, if we had more time, I just have a list of a few of them here, but did you know that in the DSM, Okay, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Officially, alcohol use disorder. It's a disorder. You're not a drunkard, okay? If you have an alcohol problem, you're not a drunkard. Uh, it's not your fault. You have a disorder. Did you realize that? Your problem is alcohol use disorder. If you're a thief, you know, if you like to steal stuff from the store, guess what? You're not a thief. It's not a sin problem. Instead, you have disruptive impulse control and conduct disorder. Actually, that's the broad category. And underneath that, there's a few different examples. One of them is kleptomania. So that's your problem. You have a disorder. It's a mental problem. It's not a sin problem that you, uh, you take stuff that doesn't belong to you. You have a disorder. Um, or look at the third one there, paraphilia. This is a whole class of sexual sins that uh, are labeled as disorders in the DSM. So if you're a pervert, okay, you, you, you uh, are a child molester, again, you, you know, you're not a pervert, that's unkind. You have a disorder. You can't help yourself. You have a disease. That's that's the underlying philosophy here. And uh, very interesting, very interesting, uh, and there's, there's many examples we could point to, but uh, let me tell you about this guy. His name was Warren Grayboys. He was an orthodontist in the Philadelphia area, and uh, he lost his license because he was in the habit of fondling young girls who uh, sat in his chair as he did uh, orthodontic work on them. So he lost his license, um, but then he sued his insurance company, okay? He sued his insurance company because he lost his license. He lost his means of providing a living for himself. <laughs> He sued his insurance company claiming, hey, I was diagnosed with this disorder. And, and he was. 
He was diagnosed, let me, let me just read it here so I don't mess up the facts. Um, so this is about 25 years ago, early, early 90s. Uh, maybe that's 30 years ago now. Um, an orthodontist in the Philadelphia suburbs was indicted for and pled guilty to fondling a teenage patient. And then it turned out at the trial later that there was uh, over 100 um, gals that came forward. He subsequently maintained that he was entitled to $5,000 a month in disability from his insurance company since he was unable to continue his orthodontics practice due to a diagnosis of what the DSM-5, okay, this, the fifth edition of the DSM, now calls frauderistic disorder, which the DSM defines as recurrent and intense sexual arousal from touching or rubbing against a non-consenting person as manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors. Okay, that's the official language in the DSM. This is a real diagnosis. This is a real disorder according to the DSM. Frauderistic disorder, which is in the class of uh, paraphilic disorders. Let me see what else I have. Had some other information on this guy. Were they, excuse me, were the patients conscious? Because you're in the dental office, they give you happy gas. Yeah, you know, that's a good question, and I'm not sure. I didn't, in the, the little bit of facts and news clippings that I found, yeah. it didn't go into that, that level of detail. And I also couldn't figure out, uh, so this could be a homework for somebody, if you want to try to figure it out and report back to us next week. I couldn't, and I didn't spend more than... 10, 15 minutes trying to look, but I couldn't figure out what ultimately happened uh, with his case. I saw that it, you know, went, uh, there was a couple different levels, but uh, what was his name? Warren Graboys, G-R-A-B-O-Y-E-S. He was an orthodontist in the Philadelphia area. This is back in the early to mid-90s. Judy volunteers to research. Okay. Spell <laughs> that last name one more time. G-R-A-B-O-I-S. Uh, no, G-R-A-B-O-Y-E-S. Oh, yeah. So he pled guilty. He pled guilty to one count of indecent assault and corruption of a minor. Was placed on probation for four years. Spent a month in a hospital for sex offenders. But since during his trial, a psychiatry professor testified on his behalf saying that he suffered from this mental illness called frauderism, that he's entitled to this compensation from his, his uh, insurance company. How do you spell that, frauderism? No, no, no. Uh, so he lost his license uh, with the state of Pennsylvania. But he had, I guess he had like kind of like malpractice insurance just through his insurance company. And so he went to his insurance company and said, hey, let me file this claim with you. I've lost my job. You know, kind of like unemployment insurance. You know, let me file the claim. They said, they, they learned the facts. I guess initially they granted him some money, but then they learned that he was, you know, he pled guilty to a, you know, sexual assault. And they said, no way. Uh, but since he was diagnosed with this disorder, he's making the case that, hey, I couldn't help it. I've got a disorder. Uh, excuse me, but 
but I thought every time you had any kind of a procedure, dental, medical, what if they had to be two people in the room at all times? Well, not yeah. If I, not if you're a deviant. Yeah. Not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I work on the ambulance, and unless, depending on what we're doing, I mean, if I have a lady in the back and we're sure. doing something invasive, sure. I want somebody else simply for my perception. Sure. I work at a dental office. They, yeah. Well, Peter is autistic, yeah. and there's a hair between me and him <laughs> when he goes in for anything. Yeah. I mean, I don't care what it is. I'm there. In the yeah. corner, I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and then I give you a fourth example, gender dysphoria. Although, see, this is kind of interesting, and we're going to touch on this again when we flip the page here. Uh, this used to be called gender identity disorder in the fourth edition of the DSM, but they took that out because nowadays you don't want to call that kind of thing a disorder, right? That would not be politically correct. You know, if you're confused about your gender or if you're a guy and you want to become a gal, it's not kind to call that a disorder. So I think that, are, and that's what happened with homosexuality. Um, and we're, we're going to get there in a minute, so we'll, we'll save that. Yep. Real quick, uh, just about that. I just find all this ironic, and we talked, you mentioned that I think a lot of this is a play off of words, and I think that's why we need to have definitions, especially today and stuff, because, like, they mention it being chemical imbalances and stuff, and being PC, not PC, and we don't want to call it a disorder, because we don't want to, you know, but they want to say that they were, there, you know, we'll, we'll use this as an example, the gender thing. We, uh, you know, we don't want to call it something because we don't want to offend Joe because he feels like he was born for a woman. Yet, guess what? When I pick you up on the ambulance and I take you to the hospital, I'm going to call you a guy. Mm -hmm. So we refer to you in the medical field, which they're saying this is the medical field, by what you were born as, not whatever you think you possibly could be. Yeah. So in the medical field and how we treat you and everything is based off of how you were born and everything. And I think a lot of this is a play off of words. And yeah. again, we're struggling with a topic that is based off of words. It's not, it can't be called a disease because diseases are tested. Yep. It's based off the scientific method that is tested and repeatable. Yep. Yeah. And has no variance. Yeah. So, you know, this is based off of whatever you say at that time, at that day. Yeah. And I have no clue whether you're telling me the truth or not. Yeah. Right. So, I just, I start, and this is just a struggling topic, I feel like. And, and, then, and then the idea of PTSD, I think is just a, um, I, I hate calling it a problem because I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a, like they were talking about earlier in point number, uh, I think it's two, yeah, two, about how it's natural. It is natural. It's a fight or flight moment. It's a struggle. The problem is what we do with it. That's right. It's normal for someone to feel fear, scared, you know, anxiety, uh, depressed, being upset, anger over a traumatic situation, whatever that traumatic situation can be, from as simple as you got into a fight with your boss at work and some stress, 
all the way to you saw somebody kill in front of you. You know, it's a natural human body response, and you're in a fight or flight moment. Now, what you do at that moment is what is sin. Yeah. And that, to me, is the problem. Yeah. And PTSD is not truly the problem. It's the fact that people that are without Christ who have no hope have allowed it to destroy their lives because yeah. they have nothing to live for. You know, they really don't have anything to live for, and they don't have the Bible guiding them. Yeah. And so that is the problem. Yeah. So well, I, I hate calling it a problem because I feel like it's a struggle. It's a struggle yeah. in that moment, whether yeah. it's the actual moment or it's a flashback or whatever, it elicits a fight or flight, a yeah. fight or flight response. I think, yeah. I good, think good thoughts. Too, Go ahead. I think, too, um, but even you know, for Christians that have PTS, um, it's like <laughs> we have Christ, we have the Bible, we have that hope, you know, that gets us through that difficulty. But you always, you have reoccurrences. Like, what do you do with those moments, the flashback? What do you do with that? You're walking down the road and something pops into it. Like, what do you do yeah. with that situation? Yeah. And learning to deal with that in a biblical manner. Yeah. Um, and I also, like, I try to be And that's what we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. Oh, Go ahead. Keep going. Well, I just try to be careful with, the, like, there are a lot of imbalances in the body and stuff, and there's ways to deal with that. Um, yeah. Like, Zoloft, it's not necessarily taking care of the the problem is just slapping a band-aid on it. Right. Yeah. So, yep. But but there are other ways to handle these, you know, imbalances that are chemical in the body to do it in a way that's, you know, correct or that's actually helping you. Yeah. So I think I don't know, there's so many things people can't just be like, Oh, we're not gonna do that or oh this is I don't know. I just I think especially like as Christians, um, having that hope and knowing how to handle that problem. Could, could yeah. I just Yes sir piggyback on that a little bit. So, we have to understand that, that what has happened with the world, when you reject God, you reject His truth. And I know that Pastor Radis is going to get us there. But when you reject His truth, you don't have an anchor, you don't have a foundation. But we're made in God's image. And so what we do is we go to try to establish our own righteousness, Scripture tells us that, or our own truth or objectivity. All right, and so, you know, 2 Timothy 3, 7, Paul talks about those who are ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, which is why the DSM keeps changing. Okay, if it was truth, how can it not, now, now this is truth. Okay, well, we learn more. No, you're still trying to learn, but you've rejected the source of truth. And so what Esther said was was important because we all know what medical tests are. If you have a pain, you have a hurt, something's not right, you wouldn't sit across the desk from a surgeon and he would just say, well, it sounds like you have this, let's operate. <laughs> okay, we laugh, but that's psychology. Okay, so I'm going to Sit across the desk, you're going to describe these things, and because I have a book that says you, okay, now I'm going to put chemicals in your system that are, you know, why do they have to keep regulating? Because they're playing games with your system. They're not doctors. They're a test that they can do. Well, okay, so 
when we when we do counseling and people start describing symptoms that don't first thing that we recommend is have you seen a doctor have you had a physical have they done blood work there are chemical imbalances but the blood work will reveal that I can't look at the outside of you and and I'm not a doctor but I can't determine well I think you're okay and then they throw a term in you know for instance I don't know how many people have sat in my office and said, well, they told me my lithium levels were off. Anybody ever heard of lithium? Yes. Yeah. Not bad. <laughs> okay, does anybody know how much lithium is in the human system naturally? No. There's none. So when they introduce a foreign substance called lithium into your system, they have to regulate it because if they don't, it's lethal. Yeah, lithium. Okay, but people are spending gazillions of dollars every year going to these people so that they can sit across the desk, write a prescription. Right. And that's, that's what Pastor Radice is pointing out. When in fact, we're made in God's image, God knew we would be fallen people and that our systems would have to respond to trauma. Shock. Well, that's God's built-in emergency system to deal with trauma. If, if, if the alarm went off right now in this room, the fire alarm, your systems, my system, would start dump, dumping chemicals into my system that are already there right. to get me to respond to a potential emergency. Okay. And yes, because of those chemicals, I might have trouble falling asleep tonight. Mm -hmm. But see, that's all what God has done. And again, the point that Esther made is, so if I know God and I know his word, now I can take those things to the Lord. He can settle me. He can correct my thinking, bring peace to my heart. Still may take me a little longer to get to sleep. But, but this is objective truth. And what they've gone, if you reject the Lord, so, so what they're doing is now they have their system of objectivity. So they want it to be objective. But there's no foundation. And, and so that's, that's why we have to have a biblical approach. I appreciate all the work that uh, Pastor Razzie has done. If I could recommend one source to everybody. And this goes back to the 90s when this really started to become a major issue. And psychology's been around a long time. But Christians started standing up saying enough is enough. And, and we started confronting the integrationists who were trying to add Christianity and psychology. And, and that's when the whole new counseling movement, which is biblical counseling, People started standing up, including medical doctors who were Christians, saying this is ridiculous. And I, I don't. So here's here's the book. Um, Why Christians can't trust psychology. Written in the I think the mid 90s. The author is Ed Buckley. B U L K L E Y. Why Christians can't trust psychology. It's an eye opener. But it helps to it helps to build the foundation of what, what I've been trying to explain. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Josh and Esther.
Very good. Well, that's a that's an excellent summary and an excellent stopping point for us. But let me just say one more thing, just to finish off uh, number four here. You see the question down there, can these disorders really be blamed on faulty biology? And let me recommend a, a book for you here. It's called Blame It on the Brain. Another bit of show and tell here. Blame It on the Brain, question mark. Okay, by Ed Welch. This is a solid guy, biblical counselor. Distinguishing chemical imbalances, brain disorders, and disobedience. And uh, very interesting, the, uh, he has an introductory section where he talks about, okay, a lot of the stuff we're, we've been talking about, just introductory issues, why we can't, why Christians can't trust psychology, etc. And then he has three categories of problems, or whatever you want to call them, that he talks about. Um, first, Alzheimer's disease, or dementia, and head injuries, like traumatic brain injury. Real, bona fide, you know, where you, you get hit in the head and you have a problem. Okay, or you have Alzheimer's disease. And then on the opposite, opposite end of the spectrum, um, he talks about homosexuality and alcoholism. And then in the middle, kind of the gray area, he talks about, you know, how to analyze and assess from a biblical perspective uh, depression, which certainly sin can lead to depression. At the same time, um, for example, ladies, uh, if they're estrogen and, and uh, what's the other one? Progesterone levels are out of whack, especially after a pregnancy, or they can feel low. They can feel depressed uh, when nothing's wrong, but they just feel that way. And that's not that's not sinful. That's, they do have something going on in their body. Um, so you have some gray areas there in the middle. Depression, uh, and then he talks about attention deficit disorder as well. But a uh, very interesting book. Uh, recommend it. And uh, so we'll stop there. And next time we're going to pick up with number five. And this is where we're going to get to what you, were, you mentioned earlier, Josh, about how cultural, political, and economic factors, the, the money part of things, can uh, play a role here in, uh, in what we're talking about. So anyway, we'll, we'll continue next time. Again, any thoughts, questions you have, please feel free to share. And maybe, did you have a quick one, Brother Dennis? Uh, yeah, I've uh, run through a number of uh, different things that, that these psychiatrists and all the people talk about whenever they talk about all these disorders, the one thing they cannot give you a definite definition of is what is normal. <laughs> Y'all laugh, but it's not a joke. What is normal for everybody in this room is not normal for somebody somewhere else in the world. Yeah. 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 And I've done a, uh, quite a long study of what happened in Nazi Germany and how the so-called normal people adapted to what was really going on over there. Huh. And when the, uh, when the Jews, the homosexuals, the communists, and everybody got shipped off to these camps, everybody went, okay. The government is looking out for us. 
Are they? <laughs> what, what we would consider abnormal turned into normal for them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, thank you uh, again for your attention tonight, and uh, we'll we'll continue next week. Let's uh, let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we're so thankful, uh, Lord, that we do not have to look to the world for answers because they they have no answers, Lord. They can offer no real hope, no lasting hope at all, no hope at all, Lord, and so. We praise you, Father, that uh, because of your Son, Jesus, because of the gospel, Lord, we have tremendous hope. And uh, Lord, even as we encounter problems in this life, because we are fallen and sinful, Lord, we're weak. There'll be times when we're afraid, um, Lord, but we're so thankful that when in those times when we feel burdened, that we can cast our burdens upon you and uh, find grace and peace in you and your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for the hope we have in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org, or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.